0: Hello and welcome to Glad Tidings, the athletic podcast all about Everton Football Club. On this week's episode we'll be talking about the mounting injury crisis ahead of the big restart, in particular why Marco Silva can take some of the blame for Jean-Philippe Gabamon's latest setback. Plus, we'll discuss whether the Merseyside Derby will need to be played at a neutral venue. We've been keeping our eye on one John Joe Kenny's progress out in Germany, the Everton right back. Uh, Paddy's watching him in recent games. And we'll be discussing the news regarding Leighton Baines' future. But first off, Paddy, how are you keeping, mate?
1: I'm all right. I'm, I'm, I'm doing okay. I'm certainly kind of in, <laughs> in as good spirits as, as I potentially could be at this moment in time. And, and that's off the back of a of a seven days in which Everton have given us an awful lot to write about and not all of it positive obviously with with the varying um pieces of news coming out from the club. Um particularly to do with injuries but but also to do with Leighton Baines, which was was obviously a piece of nicer news. So yeah, I'm I'm okay, how are you?
0: I'm alright. I've just been to buy some coffee, so things are immediately <laughs> looking up. I ran out. I ran out on espresso pods and it was um, my low low point of lockdown at the moment i realised the way to I might be stranded, but no, that was open. <laughs> anyway, onto uh, slightly more important matters than my caffeine intake. Sean, Philippe Cabamon, as I said, at, at, just at the top there, has had unbelievably rotten luck and uh, another setback. We've written about that today on The Athletic. Um, and we've gone into perhaps the backstory of the factors that played into his sort of third injury or, or certainly his second major injury since he joined only last August. And, um, and Marco Silva's kind of obviously the you know the, the manager who signed him and was so keen to use him and maybe part of the sense that that eagerness certainly in the early days uh, has done him no favours.
1: Yeah, I think obviously this is a, a new injury and a, and, a, and a fresh setback for Gabamin who was, was not too far away in all honesty from resuming full training with, with the rest of the Everton squad at Finch Farm. The fact that this is a new injury obviously is is even more of a blow to a player that's Really, not had clean breaks this, this year. He's, he's, he's been really, really unfortunate. Um, and I think, certainly, from the conversations we've had, people are putting forward a variety of reasons to, in an attempt to explain really what's happened. Because I don't think, in many cases, this is an exact science. It's not like you can just say, here's one thing and one thing alone. I think that there are a whole variety of factors, right the way through to even, for example, how. The pandemic and, and lockdown has affected players on the rehabilitation trail. How the pandemic and lockdown has affected players who are yeah. um, just just fit and and kind of ready and raring to go, otherwise, but are um, having to take a massive step up in terms of intensity over the, the the weeks and months to come. So, all those factors go into the melting pot. But the f- the first one when we charted the story I think of Gabamin's season and and what happened. The first one I think comes shortly after Gabamin joins the club. We're led to believe that I mean he obviously signs very early August and he had been away with Ivory Coast, his national team at the Africa Cup of Nations in in July. He was then afforded three weeks off prior to signing for Everton um, and then only we're told did one week of full training before the start of the season. Now, he was on the bench for, for the game against Crystal Palace at Sel- Selhurst Park. Uh, for one reason or another, he ended up on the pitch in the second half. And I remember speaking to Marco Silver after the game. Uh, a small group of us who'd made the trip down from from uh, well up from um, the northwest of England to to South London, and Silver kind of admitted then that he'd kind of had to throw Gabamin in because delf wasn't 100 fit and andre gomez had come off in the game just be well he was injured just before halftime so he thrust a player in who maybe wasn't ready in terms of fitness certainly wasn't ready in terms of adaptation and we all saw a, a really rusty performance from Gabamin. i thought at, at selhurst park mm. he, he looked like he struggled with the pace and tempo and that's that's in possession but also out of possession too off the back of Schneiderland sending off at Selhurst Park and, and Gomez's injury, I think that the midfield options were, were quite severely depleted heading into the game. The next game, the first home game of the season against Watford, and Gabamon actually played 90 minutes there. Now, it's no surprise, really, and and certainly when you speak to people close to the player and, and, and to the current regime at Everton, there's no surprise, really, that the injury, the first injury that Gabamon gets, comes... In training the week after that Watford game, because he played 135 minutes of football over the course of a week, and really hadn't been conditioned to do it. If you only have a week of of preseason, then you're not likely to be in the best shape. You you can be behind the rest of your teammates. You're going to be be behind the the opposition um, in a whole variety of different ways. So I think that's spi- that 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 set about a turn of events that have obviously spiralled since and there are other factors to consider and I'm I'm, I'm sure we will speak about them but that I mean it was described to us as the first mistake made in the chain and I think it's worth pointing out as we did in the piece that this is not a player that's necessarily had a long history of injuries you look back to his time at Mainz and you aggregate the three seasons he played there, and he racked up over 100 appearances in, across all competitions. Germany obviously doesn't have 20 teams in it, in its Bundesliga anyway, so he was playing the, the bulk, over 90% of, of Mainz's games. Hadn't really had much of a history at Lons either in France of, of picking up significant injuries, certainly nothing other than kind of soft tissue things, so this is a surprise to anybody that's known him, the, the situation how how injury prone he has been in this spell at everton and certainly not something that everton foresaw when they paid 25 million pounds to uh, to take him from mount. i just think there there are a number of issues now and uh, and of course there are other injuries in other parts of the pitch but just look at the middle of the park and it just feels as though it's been severely depleted um over the course of the last 7 days
0: it really does and um, you know it's it's just another Area When I think Carlo Ancelotti, we already knew he had to reinforce uh, the centre of the park and it's only double underlined that, that necessity in whatever capacity the transfer market is going to re-emerge this summer. Well, uh, you can read more about Gabalin on the site and it's just one of a number of articles from Paddy and myself the past week. Remember, if you're not already a subscriber, you can sign up right now. Uh, take advantage of our 30-day free trial by going to theathletic.com forward slash glad tidings to enjoy the best football writing anywhere just as the football returns. So let's talk about Leighton Baines' situation next. Uh so that we, we reported back in March um, that we felt it was it was ever increasingly likely that Baines would recommit for another season at Goodison Park. As you said earlier, mate, it's... Something that is is, I would say, a cause for um, for so much needed uh, cheerfulness uh, in the in the current uh, climate, um, and that's not to be twee. They're just because he's popular and it's Leighton Baines and you know, every, you know, we're not just saying it because he was once a brilliant left back. Um, I'd suggest he's still got a lot to give as a, a valued squad member when he when he's called upon and uh, in every other way that an experienced player can can contribute. Don't you?
1: Yeah, I would completely agree with you there. And there there are a number of things that are tied into this. And, and I think they all come together to make this something that's almost universally popular. The, the, the first thing, as you've mentioned, is that there's a sentimental value attached to retaining somebody like Leighton Baines. He's a player that the fan base really gets on board with. He, there are lots of positive memories you can look back on in his, in his career at Goodison so far. But I think the other thing and and more important for Everton and particularly for Carlo Ancelotti is just how well he's played this season when he has been given an opportunity and I don't think I would have been the only one who looked at the run of fixtures in December that Duncan Ferguson took charge of. I, I think Luca Dean got injured against um Chelsea in Ferguson's first game in charge. And Leighton Baines had to fill in for a number of games including uh, Manchester United away, Leicester in the Carabao Cup um, and they came in quick succession those matches because it was the festive period and and everything else. There's a little question mark there over Leighton Baines given uh, kind of longevity issues and stuff like that. He's coming towards the end of his career as we know and yes there's lots of quality in that left foot but how would he hold up um, playing those games in quick succession and What he did was, I I think, particularly at Old Trafford and then also against Leicester with that wonderful goal he scored um, to take the game to to extra time and, well, to take the game to penalties, I should say. He he proved that he's got a lot still to offer. Everton here um, and almost kind of reopened a bit of a debate, uh, if you could call it that, over the left-back Spartan and what we do moving forward. So he's earned it on merit. Uh, this is not just a sentimental decision. Uh, he's impressed, not just the supporters, but everybody at Everton with the performances when he's had an opportunity this season. He's still a wonderful professional. We, I remember a piece that we wrote towards the start of lockdown, actually, where we um, charted what Everton players were doing to keep fit over the course of this period. Yes, yeah, sure. and Leighton Baines, um, on a one-app, measuring kind of high intensity training was right up there with England rugby backs. Um, and for, for American listeners and for listeners that aren't familiar with rugby, the fast ones, the, <laughs> the ones that get run all day. Um, I <laughs> like kind of prize race horses in terms of the way they gallop around a rugby mm-hmm. field. Um, Leighton Baines was competing with those guys and, and often surpassing them. Uh, I think if you look at the the app now, he's still right the way up there in some of those metrics. Uh, so he's keeping himself in wonderful shape. Uh, he's got he's obviously got a lovely left foot. He's a popular figure in the dressing room. He's a, he's he's a leader, a quiet leader, I would say. Certainly not a, a particularly vocal, um, tub thumping one. Um, and it just seemed to make sense uh, across the board for me. Really, Everton are going to have. You would think Everton are going to have a number of issues to remedy over the the course of the next window it's a different landscape that they're operating in now after after covid and and everything else so you would think that financial situations will change somewhat uh, as the economy um shrinks and, and contracts a little bit and i think to have this issue at left back fully resolved to have two players of the quality of Luca dean and and leighton baines means that everything can almost just fully focus their attentions on, on for me um, the injuries, um, I've, I've kind of highlighted the, the two positions that Everton need to look at more than any others, um, and that's central midfield and centre-back. Um, I just think that, that um, left-back boxed off, but Gabamin's injury means that um, if Carlo wanted one central midfielder, as we're led to believe, um, before the injury uh, to Gabamin, then he'll now probably want two, and or he will need two. Whether he gets to is another matter. Um, and if they wanted a centre-back, as we believe they did before all of this happened with Yeri Mina, then there is now a question mark over depth in that position, a further question mark over depth. So tying Leighton Baines to a, a one-year deal, as as should happen now, we think, um, is, is kind of a, a box tick Um, and means that Everton can kind of focus on, I think, what are more pressing matters for for just about everybody at the football club?
0: Absolutely. Uh, And one pressing matter, certainly on the horizon, as we think about football's return, is the not insignificant um, fixture that we've got next up. The 20th of June feels in in some way, really on the 4th, it's a while off, I am sure it will rattle around very quickly, the Merseyside derby. I would say the Goodison Derby, but that's still a matter of some conjecture, whether or not the game is going to be played at a neutral venue or at Goodison Park. Um, Pad, I think it's fair to say it's something when you and I have been speaking about this a lot recently, sort of, you know, just chatting on WhatsApp and stuff, and we've both, <laughs> we've both got pretty strong views about... Um, I mean, let's just say that, certainly from for my part, I feel that, and I'm not just saying this to kind of, you know, sort of a platitude... Safety issues aside, so providing it's safe, I think it has to be played at Goodison. Um, and it's almost for the, I guess, integrity of the Premier League um, that it must be played at Goodison. Uh, I really can't see any reason why we should all have to slip to somewhere like the Midlands or Wembley or wherever it might be to watch uh, Everton play Liverpool and um you know, and, and likewise, Liverpool go to Man City, and so on and so forth. Um, I hope the common sense kind of reigns here, don't you?
1: Yeah, I, I think that's the the first response, and and maybe a, a slightly emotional response based on an allegiance to Everton Football Club and. That's almost taking a journalistic hat off for a moment, and then putting it back on when we discuss issues of, of integrity. That you you do want the game to be played at Goodison Park if you if you're an Everton fan. That gives Everton more in, of an advantage, even if it's um it's going to be played behind closed doors. And I think the other thing, and you've touched on it there, the, the word integrity and the 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 integrity of the competition, which, is probably jeopardised. Should we get. Quite a few of these games played on neutral territory. Uh, How it's right, for example, for Everton to have to go to Anfield, as they did earlier in the season, but then for a game to be played in a neutral venue when Everton are meant to be at home, uh, well, that gives Liverpool an advantage in head-to-heads over Everton. And then other clubs, I'm sure, would would have an issue with Liverpool getting an opportunity to play uh, Everton um, away from Goodison too. Damages not just the, the relationship between Everton and Liverpool, um, and the, the head to heads there, but it, it potentially damages other clubs and their their predicaments in in the table. Liverpool are a great example, obviously, because they they're, they're so far ahead. But the more neutral games that are played, I believe, the more we will have debates around the integrity of the of the, of the Premier League. I think it's just that simple. Um, you only have to look really at the bottom of the table. What would happen if? one of the bottom four, five, six sides doesn't have to go to to a top side and play away from home, but instead they play in, at Wembley. And I, I just think it opens a huge kind of worms. And mm. the other thing to tag to this whole debate is that <laughs> we're in a situation now where effectively we're questioning whether football fans can behave. And I don't just mean Liverpool fans, I mean all football fans. Manchester United, Sheffield United was deemed a high-risk game, let's not forget, by um, national police chiefs originally, which to me is utterly baffling. Um, but the two clubs in the north of England, and apparently they're in relatively close proximity, even though I'd never personally considered that that, that to be an issue. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I've never seen Manchester and Sheffield as particularly close. Uh, they're separated by substantial land barriers, uh, we, we should say, in the Pennines. So... There's a huge kind of worms here and I, I don't really like the insinuation that football fans can't behave. Um, I particularly don't like the insinuation that Merseyside football fans can't behave red or blue. Um, and yes, if Everton were to play Liverpool away from Liverpool, it hands Liverpool more of an advantage. So I don't see how, with my Everton hat on and my journalistic hat on, I don't see how that works for Everton really.
0: No, no, no nor do I. Um, well, let's let's kind of switch back to a sort of Playing matter that that we have been able to a game we have been able to watch um in in um, a couple of occasions, and it's the progress of Everton's young right back John Joe Kenny obviously over on loan, uh, in Gelsenkirk and with Schalke um Bundesliga as we know has returned, and it hasn't been it hasn't been plain sailing for Schalke and and David Wagner's side really um which is a shame I must admit I got a soft spot for them when I went over earlier in the in the season and. Spoke to John Joe there. It was a nice club. Uh, he seemed really, really happy, and he was absolutely flying at the time. Um, you, you watched his game, uh, rather you watched their game, at the weekend, and and sort of saw so maybe not just a player who didn't have the perfect afternoon, but a team really that are in a bit of a malaise, and it maybe affected John Joe's fortunes. What did you make of it all? Where do you think he's at in his progress? It's
1: it's a really difficult question because I think if you'd asked us this you'd ask me or you'd ask you, somebody had asked mm. you this um, even three four months ago the answer would, would be markedly different I think that's because Schalke started the season really well and afforded Jonjo a platform to express himself show what he's all about but I think as everybody would would acknowledge once a side you've used the word malaise once a side starts to decline and starts to kind of sap in terms of confidence i think it, it becomes a slippery slope and very hard for individual footballers to to kind of impose themselves on proceedings and certainly since football resumed, Chalker have i've been in terrible form they, they obviously got hammered by by dortmund in the in the um rural derby the, the the local derby in um in germany they have lost to Augsburg at home. They've been beaten by Werder Bremen. Um, sides that aren't high flyers in the table by any stretch of the imagination. If anything, they're they're low down in the table. I think we've seen we've seen good things from John Joe. We've seen bad things. Certainly, I've I've watched every Schalke game so far for for, for my sins, um, in an attempt to binge watch as much football and a, and get an insight into how John Joe's getting on. I've binge watched all those games, and um, you do see a side that is severely lacking. Is really short of confidence, and maybe is suffering for a few tactical flaws. So I think sometimes they look a bit open. Sometimes John Joe is asked to play not as a mm. right back but as a right wing back, and they push the guys up, and then they ask them effectively when the ball breaks down, and the ball does break down in the Schalke side when possession breaks down. John Joe or his opposite number are asked to uh traipse sixty yards back and chase people like Jaden yeah. Sancho or Rafael yeah. Guerrero, who was up against um when they played <clears throat> Brucia Dortmund. It's not something I don't think that's that suits John Joe. He's I mean he's he has got lots of good traits, I would say, I think. For for example, he's he's really astute uh knowing where his opposite number is, particularly at the back post. For his size, he's only small. I think he's only five foot nine. But for his size, he's he's quite good in the air. He he wins more than his fair share of battles in the air yeah. at the back post, uh, and he's obviously a tenacious defender, as we all know. Good crosser of the ball, all those things. So, I think the ba- a lot of the basics are right. But what we would have to acknowledge is that he's not he's not a Kyle Walker. If we look at right backs, he's not somebody that's gonna continually be able to bomb on he's not somebody that's going to be able to make those um, runs back like Alfonso, I don't know if you've been watching Bayern Munich but like Alfonso Davis is doing at the moment from left back for for Bayern Munich and sometimes the modern fullback has to do that sometimes the modern fullback has to patrol the whole of the flank yeah. and be able to get up and down for 90 minutes
0: it's a big task isn't it it's, it's, it's a really tough
1: task. It's a really, really tough task. And that's why you get these these guys like Alfonso Davis coming through, even David Alaba, who played there before for Bayern Munich. And and some of our guys, Seamus Coleman, was, was really good at doing it for a number of years. Um, that seems to be the, the remit of the modern fullback. And John Joe has some of these qualities, but not all of them. And I think there have been issues that Schalke have not played well. And. Uh, individual areas have been highlighted more than they otherwise would have been. So <laughs> I got a little bit annoyed and I saw lots of the criticism after the Augsburg game, which was, I think, a few weekends ago now. And Schalke lost that game comfortably. Um, John Joe jumped in trying to save a loose ball, a, a really bad situation where... Schalke's centre-half had surrendered possession close to his own goal, and loads of people mm. saying, I oh, should have stayed on his feet, and maybe that's, maybe, maybe that's right, maybe you should have done. But at the end of the day, he was left scrambling, trying to save um, his side, who were kind of under the cosh. I think there was a goal against Dortmund where he didn't get out quick enough. Again, a bit of fatigue had probably set in there, with regards to having to defend against high-quality attackers in an otherwise poor team performance for from Schalke. So, it doesn't feel like an ideal environment, and this was the conclusion I came to in the piece. More than anybody else, John Joe's got an opportunity to put himself in the in the in in the limelight here, in in the shop window for potential admirers beyond the summer to impress Marcel Brands and and the rest of Everton's scouting team, who are obviously paying a really close eye on what he's doing, compiling dossiers, going to going to games before lockdown, um, and any anybody else who chalka who anybody else that might want him um this is not the best environment to to do that really in fact it, like like i said it's probably very hard to stand out But i think we we were told when we were doing the research for the piece we were told that certainly no decision has been taken yet on his future um and that decision they won't even sit down to discuss all parties what's likely to happen until um way after the season finishes and then they'll look to come to some kind of arrangement So his future, to an extent, is still up in the air. He's still looking to impress. Um, And it's going to be fascinating to see what Everton do because we've spoken about centre-back, we've spoken about central midfield. The left-back issue is being solved. But you could say that over on the other side of defence, on the right side of defence, there's still quite a complex and fluid, fast-moving situation for Ancelotti and Marcel Brands to get their teeth into once the the window kind of eventually opens and, and Kenny's only part of that process.
0: Yeah, there's just so many kind of moving pieces. And as ever, it's uh, it's never straightforward. (laughs) They're going to have their work cut out. And it is going to be fascinating to see just what sort of market there is this summer. uh, Because uh, we have had indications that it's not going to be potentially one with vast sums of money being spent. Um, Interesting to read our colleague David Ornstein and uh, Jack Pickbrook writing a piece on, on the site about the money. Tottenham are um, having to loan in order to kind of keep their books balanced and stuff like that and that's not even spent on transfers so yeah do check that one out uh, I think that's all we've got time for for this episode, my thanks to Paddy as ever and all you for listening um, please do rate, hit subscribe and leave us a review if you can and keep supporting the podcast um, you know we, we are edging towards being able to watch Everton, if not back at Goodison Park and, and that will be a major step forward. So we'll see you next time and thank you for listening.